And we are back, guys, with another full-length episode for your Thursday. We start the episode by discussing the latest announcement from the Big Ten and the ACC regarding fall sports. And then we debate and discuss some of the ideas that were thrown out to improve college football. And we wrap it all up with our recruiting re-rank, where we've re-ranked past recruiting classes. And today we analyzed an absolutely ridiculous 2017 class. Only three segments today, but we still got a full show. So let's kick it off. So last Thursday, the Big Ten broke the news that all college football fans were probably dreading to hear. The Big Ten, which immediately was followed by the Pac-12, announced that their conferences would play only conference games this upcoming season. This caused marquee games such as Ohio State at Oregon, Alabama versus USC to be canceled. The ACC was reported to follow suit, but... Commissioner John Swafford announced that no decision has been made yet. The SEC and Big 12 stand, stand pat where they are. They have not made a final decision, and they want to see as what goes on as more information comes in and in regards to what their conferences will do next season. So, Brandon, here we are. What is your takeaway from this, and do you think this is the best plan moving forward? Yeah, so I know the second that you said this is the plan that no college football football fan wanted to hear, um, that kind of left me stunned a little bit. I mean, would you not love to see Auburn play a 12 or 13 game SEC season? I would love – I mean, the SEC is different, though, because, I mean, you have so many contenders. I mean, but then you have conferences like the ACC where Clemson is probably going to beat everybody by an average of 30 to 40 points. That's a good point, actually, because the ACC, that's just going to be fun for nobody. Um, That's going to be like – like, Clemson won't even have any fun. They're just going to be winning all the time. And while they do love doing that, and while Dabo does love doing what he does, he loves doing a lot of things. We're not going to get into that in this episode. Um, But uh, he does love winning. I just don't – I think it gets old at some point when you're just playing, you know, Syracuse and Boston College and and all – every other talent that the ACC has to offer. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, and it, it just makes no sense to me, to be completely honest with you. I mean, you have teams, I mean, Brandon, let's, let's take Florida, Florida State. There are two different conferences, but, I mean, how much closer are those campuses to someone like, let's just say Miami in the ACC and Boston College in the ACC? Right, exactly. And the first one that came to my head was like, you know, you, you, you want to talk about like Baylor – going to play West Virginia in the Big 12. I mean, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Or even like a team, maybe like Washington, Washington State going to play Arizona. I mean, they're crossing the country to play. So it's, it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's almost like the germs are – they think maybe like the, like the coronavirus is just afraid of traveling outside of conference. I just don't know if that's the case. Um, now you have you seen the new face shields that that um, I can't remember who I think it was like Oakley I, made yeah, them. Yeah, it was it, it was Oakley. I did see that. I actually did. And listen, if it if it gets us college football, I don't care what they have to do. I don't care if we have to play in hazmat suits. Like, let's get this season in. 
man, heat strokes are abundant in hazmat yeah, suits. That, that, that is also a, that's also a fact, especially in Death Valley in August. Yeah, have fun. I'm. It's not a lot of fun in South Louisiana right now. It's it's very hot, um, and I, I think August might even get hotter. I don't. I'm not sure. Um, but I mean, so the only conferences that have announced that they'll be playing only in conference games that's been the Big Ten and the Pac-12. Is that what you said? Yeah, the ACC was reported to, but last I read, the ACC com- uh, like commissioner held off on it. He said that they haven't made a final decision, but if things stay the same, they will also play conference only. Now, what I'm wondering is, you know, the state of Louisiana, and I know this because, I mean, I'm here, so I can't report on other states, but I know that, that Louisiana has even come out and, like, we like high school football can't even be played until we're in phase four we're in phase two right now just like barely um we're about to move back to phase one if things keep going the way they're going so how how is it that that you know state-funded high schools won't be able to play until phase four but somehow the state-funded university might be able to play in phase one or two that doesn't make a lot of sense to me even if they're only playing in conference well, it's because the state-funded colleges bring in billions of dollars to the state while these state-funded high schools do not. That's exactly – you keep it's, getting me left and right. It, it's all about money, it's, man. I mean, it, it, it really, really is. I mean, to be honest, yeah, that's, yeah. Why I, that's why I have full – that's why I have full, I guess, confidence that we'll have a college football season. I mean, even Coach O has been echoing like that. It, it's going to happen. Oh, I know. He I, talked to Joe Biden about it yesterday. Yeah. Or not I mean, Joe Biden. He talked to uh, – yeah. yeah, he did. No, it was Mike Pence. It was the VP. Mike Pence. Same, same guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, same thing. But one's running against <laughs> the, the president next election cycle. It's the same, the it's the same, it's the same guy. Don't, don't even – it doesn't matter. <laughs> same guy. Uh, but, you know, so I'm going to take a I, – I don't know. I don't know how this opinion is going to come across. I'm going to try to explain it well, Uh-oh. I'm sure – some people are going to have a problem. Others are going to have my back with this. But I think this was just made way too early, Brandon. I mean, it's right now it's July 15th. When this announcement was made, it was, what, July 9th, maybe 10th? Um, right. And why are, we, why are we making decisions on something that's not happening until just about September right now? Why, why didn't all the co- – I mean, all the conferences – I mean, this is – I know the SEC had a big problem with the announcement because it was almost like the Big Ten pulled the rug out from these other conferences because the last they talked on, like, Zoom or their conference call or whatever, everyone just agreed to wait it out and let's get more information and see what happens at the end of summer. So why are you right. just making a random decision that no one was expecting? It's it's really funny. I really wish I was part of those closed door meetings on this too, because you know that it was something good. It was the Big Ten trying to be the Big Ten. They were trying to be better than every other conference, and they're like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make a big leap right here, and we're going to say we're only playing in conference, which is kind of what they were hoping for anyway. Because have you ever seen the Big Ten play out of conference? It's, it never really turns out well for them. It no, it it doesn't. And okay, the best the best I guess phrase to put on this under is virtue signaling. That's what I think the okay. basis of this comes from. Okay, Brandon, get, hear me out. So does it not look good on the Big Ten if things go south? Let's say, like you say, Louisiana it goes back down to phase one. Things get really, really bad. The Big Ten can say, hey, we headed this off. We spearheaded the movement for no college football or restricted college football, and they get that credit. 
instead of, yeah. hey, as a, as a committee, we came together. I really think they were just trying to get ahead of it. And, like, you know, sometimes it's better to be a little bit early than late. And I think the SEC is going to be that conference that it, it's, it's going to take something drastic for the SEC not to play football. And I think, I, I think even some of the national analysts have said that. Like, it's going to take something drastic, like a fatality on the field or something like that, for the SEC really to be, I guess, eyes open, because especially just because how big SEC football is. But this was a virtue signaling for me. This was trying to set the precedent. And I'm not a doctor by any means. When this first came out, me and Brandon said, we are not a doctor. We're not going to predict this virus and what it will do. We're not going to – we're not the CDC. Listen, guys, if you want to know if you should wear a mask or not or all this stuff, go look at the CDC. Don't come to the Blue Bloods list looking for medical advice here. But – I do think we are going to have a season and I really like we had we our last episode I'm sure all of y'all listened it was a great interview one of my favorite I think it was our best one of our best interviews uh, with Cole Kublik and I like what he said on Twitter recently at where eventually okay so Brandon like all the projections I've been reading said eventually when we do get a cure or something for this virus it will end up being like the flu where you can get it but it'll be treatable and it'll just come and go as most viruses and most sicknesses do now right so Cole Kublik said eventually personal responsibility is going to have to become a factor and he said that college football should go on the students can sign a waiver the fans can sign a waiver and the fans and players who want to be there can just be there and okay. if, if that means you have to quarantine yourself, if that means you have to pay an extra premium, et cetera, et cetera, then that's on you to decide. But eventually people are going to have to decide what they feel comfortable with doing. And I know he wasn't the only one to say it. I know there's a few other national analysts that backed him on this. And I, as much as I think people should be safe, and if you live with a sick family member, you probably shouldn't. But if, you just, if you're just a college student, you just want to play football. And I think this, there's just too much to lose, Brandon. I mean, for how many episodes ago did we talk about how much money the NCAA and just college football will lose across the country? It was, what, probably 10 episodes ago when it was, what, $4.3 billion? Right. That's, that's, that yeah. is almost – that's a ridiculous amount of money, guys. And then you have the issue where me and Brandon talked about with scholarships – what ha- like can you, you can't give everyone an extra year of eligibility because then what do you do with scholarship limits? How does a school who just lost millions of dollars find money to support the incoming class of recruits? They yeah. probably don't. I mean, that, the budgets are going to be yeah. all screwed up. And then, Brandon, I mean, we've t- we haven't probably talked about this directly on the podcast. We talked about this outside of the podcast, but. And I know Kublik kind of brought it up when we were talking about paying players. Some of these players don't come for much. And they rely on their athletic prowess to have them housing for, what, nine, ten months of the year? Right. You could be talking about some players not even having a place to live because not everyone can go home to their parents. And Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and it, you know, it, while it does mess a lot of things – never mind. Zach, I'll let you continue. I've got another point to make, and I know no, – go oh, ahead. No, yeah, and the last point I just want to make, and you can take it over, is – that it kind of relates to this is the stipends that we talked about. Some of these players do rely on the $4,000, let's just say a month max that they get every month while they're playing. 
they have two thousand to live off of, put up in savings, and then they send two thousand home back to their family. What happens when that's gone yeah. and they can't go back and live with their family? I just like I know that we have to weigh the cost. That there's always like a cost analysis to every decision, especially with something like this. And we have to decide: is it worth losing four billion dollars and putting a bunch of athletes and and just and all this money on the line, or is it? Or is it worth the risk? And I think that's the that's 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 what I think a lot of these ads are doing right now. Right, and, and you know, from from a financial aspect, I mean, you you hit the I mean, you hit the nail on the head. I mean, absolutely. But if you want to look at it from like a more, hey, this is a pandemic that maybe we came out of a little bit too early, and people are catching again. I mean, I mean. Louisiana alone has been over 2,000 new cases a day. Like, I, I want to say, I want to say more than five times in the past two weeks, there have been 2,000 new cases every single day. Because I mean, it's gotten to the point to where now there's a there's a statewide mandatory mask mandate that's been reinstated. Um, I know Alabama did the same, and, and can, so I mean, Kansas also is, did that. Yeah, and so my question is, uh, Mississippi just did it too. I think it starts tomorrow or today, if you're listening now. Um, uh, my question is, how do you prevent the spread of disease? I mean, if we're trying to combat that, how do we do that when we have 22 guys on a field at a time that not, I mean, not only aren't social distancing, but are just, I mean, straight up, uh, I mean, they're they're all over each other. I mean, I get, yeah. I get that football is a big financial driver, and, and it's. It is an economic issue. It certainly is. But I mean, just to take, you know, I guess to play devil's advocate to your, to your convert or to your argument. Um, I mean, how do you prevent the spread of coronavirus if, if football is allowed to be played? Okay. So hear me because out. Uh, not but, only, and, 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 and I want, I want to make one more point before you say, anything. yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. These, these billions of dollars that you're talking about that they're bringing in. I mean, how much of that is from ticket sales? How much is that? from concession sales? How much is that from uh, these, these people coming to visit and like actually watch these games in person, putting money into the local economies? I mean, we're not, look, we have become an economic podcast, by the way. So uh, we're, we're going to start uh, day trading uh, before long, if you, if you haven't caught that already. But um, <laughs> it's, it's just getting weird. Quarantine's, oh, it's not even quarantine anymore. It should be, but it's not. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I mean, my question is, I mean, how, how much money are you really making? I get the TV deals, but other than that, how much money are you really making if you have a season? I, I don't remember exactly. Like, I had the number in my notes for the episode we did, and it's millions of ticket sales, man. I mean, LSU, okay, so you've been, you're a season ticket holder for LSU. How much do you pay for your, for your season tickets? I feel like that's a little personal, but oh, oh, okay, uh, uh, dude, it it's easily <laughs> can be looked I'm up. Kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It's like it's like a thousand dollars. A thousand dollars, okay. LSU Stadium was what a hundred and two, three thousand. A hundred and two, but it's close to three. It's like it's okay. like a hundred and two, nine hundred, something like that. Yeah. Okay. So, you, what tier would you rank your season tickets at? Are they the most expensive to the least expensive? Like, where would you put it on that oh, scale? Oh yeah, no, mine. Mine are probably the least expensive. Okay, and you pay $1,000. How much money do you think LSU makes from just season ticket holders alone? Because those suites are easily hundreds of thousands of dollars. 
Right. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And, and so, like, there's a lot of money in just fan involved. And, like, that's why the NFL right now, we're not NFL podcast, but they're talking about the salary cap dropping $60 million, and that's if they can play without fans. Right. That, it's a lot of money in ticket right. sales. And, and we also got to think about uh, the community. How much money do you think someone like, let's just, I, this is the only restaurant I know in Baton Rouge. I'm sure you can name more like Mike Anderson's. How much money do you think <laughs> they would lose if they didn't, if, if LSU didn't have a football season? I'm they talking. make a lot. Zach, you were, you were here like what, 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 what was it, like four weeks ago, like a month yeah. ago. And how yeah. many people were in Mike Anderson's besides us? Uh, a handful. Like, like nobody. It was just, yeah. it was, it was, it was like just pro- us. Pro- probably like eight people at max, max. They make and, their money on game days is where I'm going with that. Yeah, it, exactly. And so the thing that really, really gets me, I would say is just, so you, you want to, you want to stretch. Okay. So it is a pandemic, right? So we're seeing the NBA right now and they're quarantining in the bubble. They're having a lot of problems. In case you haven't watched on the news, there's a snitch hotline. <laughs> it's a whole thing. Um, a snitch hotline. It, yeah, snitch, snitches get stitches on the blue blood, so we don't support the snitch hotline. <laughs> but, um, okay, so, Brandon, you said so these players, okay, so let's say Oregon, Ohio State. Is Ohio State taking Delta Airlines in a major airport to get to Oregon? No. They're taking a team plane, right? Right. So that thing could be disinfected if the team stays in the team dorms or in the team athletic like athletic area. And we've seen Clemson. They have game rooms. They have practice, film study. Like there's, And they'll have online classes so you can set it up where they can do classes in the athletic department. You can quarantine and just where your team stays with your team for the season. It's three, four months if you shorten it up. Yeah. I mean, it's doable. It's it's probably easier to quarantine for college football than it even is well, than it definitely is for the NFL. Well, let me let me ask you this then. I mean, you you went to Auburn and you've seen yeah. the student, you've seen the athletic dorms there. I mean, most of the athletes stay at uh, what is it? Is it South Donahue? Yeah, South Donahue. Yeah, so South Donahue, but there are other students living there, right? Yeah, but you can stop that. That's an easy fix. You just don't yeah, and then like the school loses money. Then the school is like, oh well, we're losing a lot of money now because well, well, these, odds. I of, mean, well, those are expensive dorms. Well, even though colleges have announced that students come out to campus, it's still kind of up in the air. I mean, let's be honest, and they still are trying to figure out how they're going to house students while still being able to kind of quarantine students. So I think they're already going to have reduced dorm space already. To be, I mean, okay. like, let's let's be real here. I mean, yeah, there's some logistical issues to work out, but I just feel like I, I feel like there's a way to do it. I really, really do. I feel like there's too much on the line. And listen, uh, like, yes, it this is dangerous. This is a real issue here. But I just feel like you can't dismiss it. Like, I've, I so up here in Kansas, I mean, I'm a graduate student. There's not a lot of people up here who care about sports. To be completely honest with you guys, and. I've heard people say, oh, it's just football. It's just this. And it's like, it's really not. If you if you were educated about the situation, like I, I consider myself pretty educated. I mean, I have a whole podcast about it. We talk about this every day. Even when we're not recording, me and Brandon are constantly texting about the biggest things. Like, wh- what do you think? All this stuff. And I mean, I've done the research here and I really feel like that, like 
you're putting you're almost devaluing what those student athletes bring. It's like, it's just football. And it's like, no man, like some of these kids, like this is their life. Like this is their way out. Like how do you, how many high school kids, if there's not high school football this year are going to miss out on a breakout star who could have made it to the NFL and just never got a scholarship because he didn't get a chance to, he, he grew six, he grew six inches over the, over summer from junior to senior year. Yeah. That's, that's you know, a good point. I, I, it's just, for me, I I think the I think the benefit the benefits outweigh the risk here. Like, and I I think even I forgot who it was on Fox Sports. Someone said this. I was listening to him. I mean, this age group. What is it? Eighteen to twenty three. Maybe maybe the one twenty seven year old uh, third string quarterback you got that went and played baseball and came back. You know, one of those situations like a Brandon Whedon. Um, well, he was a first string, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> but um you know it, it's just that age group is the least accept, susceptible to the virus correct that is a fact that's what the cdc said that's what all the reports are coming out is that they are least susceptible to it they're in shape they're young they're healthy all this kind of stuff and like kublik and other people have said if you don't want to play don't play that's fine. That um, you know, if Bo Nix came out today and said I don't feel comfortable playing, that's all. That's great. Uh, you know, but yeah. what about the kids who want to play and have to play? That's who I'm trying to think of here. And so I think there's a lot of logistical stuff. I just personally think that they made a decision too quick, and I think they should have thought about it more. And I like what the SEC and Big Twelve did, and they said we're going to wait for more information. Our deadline is not today. The deadline is probably beginning of August, and then we'll make a decision. Right. No, you're, you're right. I mean, uh, I, I do think that this probably needed more time to meet to, for a decision to be made on either end. I mean, whether that be, hey, we're going to play in conference, hey, we're going to play a regular schedule, or hey, we're not going to play. I mean, more time should have been taken. There's a lot of time between now and when the season starts, and I feel like that time could have been used more wisely. Completely agreed. But, guys, we're going to move on. We murdered that topic. Um, but we're going to move on to uh, – uh, this is probably a hot take, I guess. I don't know. But um, Colin Cowherd of Fox Sports, you know, mm. he does the herd. I know, Brandon, you need to put your biases aside for this one here. He jokingly, he jokingly announced last week that he is going to run for president of college football. And – he had Joel Clad on. He laid out six things that he would immediately implement in college football to improve the game. I'm going to take this one point at a time. Me and Brandon are going to respond, give our take on whether this would actually improve college football. Brandon, keep your biases aside. We're going to go through this one by one. Can't. <laughs> Can't. Um, first, no more neutral site games. Hate it. Already hate this. <laughs> Neutral site games are are the backbone of college football. Big fan, always. As a matter of fact, LSU this season was supposed to play a neutral site game against Rice uh, at NRG Stadium in Houston. Keep in mind, Rice, I believe, plays at NRG Stadium in Houston. So I don't I don't know what that's about, but it is a neutral site game apparently. But I love uh, it. it. I mean, it's kind of cool. Except it was against Rice, but. I mean, yeah. I mean, we so we disagree here. I actually really like this idea. Um, I it because 
Brandon, the location always favors one of the teams. You know, it's well, it, maybe. When, you, when you look at USC, Bama, Auburn, Oregon, and Dallas, it's clear advantage to the Southern teams. Like, okay. it's not even close. And then Georgia, North Carolina, and Atlanta? No, that, that was stupid. I'll, I'll admit and, that. And Auburn, Washington, and Atlanta? Are you, I wonder which one's closer. Auburn took a bus. <laughs> Washington took a a whole day to fly there. <laughs> okay. It's just not the Oregon there. Trail. <laughs> and, I mean, I think teams should have to schedule home-and-home home series with their opponents. I mean, Brandon, USC, Bama – is not, was not as hype of a game as Oregon, Ohio State, and Eugene. How much more hype would you be if Bama was going to play USC in L.A.? Yeah, I mean, it would be a lot better. But, I mean, there's another side of that argument, too, where, I mean, do you want a team like – I can't who, – who did Ole Miss just schedule a home-and-home home with? I think it was, a, it was a school in Virginia. Um, yeah. I want to say it was like Liberty or something. Yeah. Yeah, do you? I mean, is that what you want? You want Ole Miss to go play Liberty at Liberty? They have their stadium that holds like twelve hundred people. Well, okay, well, listen. The point number two will take care of that, but no, I'm talking about the big, the marquee games. Like we're talking about Auburn, Oregon, LSU, Texas, LSU, Texas. If that game was in Jerry World or in Atlanta, would you be as excited to see LSU go to Texas or Texas come to Death Valley? No, I get what you're saying. I, if if they, maybe they played like in in Dallas, uh, Jerry World, and then they played in the Superdome. No, it wouldn't be nearly as good. I mean, it's obviously going to be better, <laughs> you know, in Baton Rouge or Austin. That's that's a fact. And so his point here was that NFL owners are billionaires. They don't need the extra money. But 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 college towns depend on that money. And how much more money do you think LSU made that weekend? Having te- or is gonna make having Texas come in this year? Maybe. Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah, a lot. Yeah, that's a good point. And so, Colin, don't make don't make me like you all of a sudden. Don't do that to me. <laughs> so yeah, I approve point number one. He gets my vote here on this one. I'm not a fan of neutral site games. I would much rather have seen Auburn travel to Eugene or Oregon come to Auburn and Jordan Hare. It would have been – that would have I would have really, really got me worked up. But we're going to go to point number two here. Brandon, only one quote-unquote cupcake game a year. Well, okay, how do you enforce that? You, you I want to know up. how you enforce that. I mean, the SFA has the power. I mean, you can make people schedule a certain amount. Like you can. Oh, so you can, no. But the thing is, how do you how do you call a team a cupcake? How do you how do you look at a team I, I and go, th- oh, too many cupcakes? Okay, so I think another team that's in the NCAA. You can't do that if you're in okay, NCAA. I, I think I think he meant like non-power five, is what I think. If if okay. I remember right, what he classified as cupcake. So like. Uh, LSU playing – who do they play? I forgot who – like what, Northwestern, like state out of – or Northeastern yeah, or something but like in, that? It's Northwestern State. It's in Louisiana. It's Coach O's alma mater. It was a good game. Okay, it was – okay, so that was your one cupcake game. So that means you get rid of Utah State and you play Utah Washington. Utah State's Power 5. No, they're not Power 5. I'm sorry. They're, no, they're, they're not. D1, though. Yeah, they're but power, power 5 is what, like, he would replace it with. Like so, what South, are your exceptions then? I mean, if you were, I mean, because independent schools aren't Power Five, 
So does that mean well, that, okay. that they, okay, they hang on, time can't out. schedule? Time out. Point number three is no more independence. You have to join a conference. So that takes care no, of that. See, I hate I hate this. I hate – and you could have told – you could have just not mentioned Colin Cowherd's name and I still would have hated it. This is awful. Why no independence? Because Notre Dame should join a conference. Have, no, well, they did, except for football. Yeah, they need to join one in football. You know, I think this NCAA should just say you cannot be in the college football playoff if you're not in a conference. Yeah, it's stupid, though, because then you have schools like UConn who just got kicked out of their conference. They just, well, that, that's because they, they suck. That's because they suck. Well, what if they, get, what if they get really good next year, Zach? Like, the, the, out of nowhere, get really they join good. join a conference. Should they not be able – they, they can't just join a conference. You have to be invited to a conference, Zach. I'm going to teach you how this works one day. But you don't just join a conference. That, that is their fault for being so bad. They got kicked out of a non-Power 5 conference, Brandon. Okay, well. That's what you get for trying to start a rivalry with a school that doesn't recognize your, that you're their rival. Yeah, everyone loves the civil conflict, so just leave I mean, that okay. one alone. But. So, like, let's just take a team like Auburn. I mean – they played Kent State, Tulane, and Sanford, right? Yeah. That okay. Keep Sanford. That's an in-state school. They deserve the payday. So, like Auburn, Alabama, try to schedule a UAB, a Sanford, a South Alabama, etc. LSU, you can schedule your Northeastern game or whatever it is. I, I hate Northwestern. that. Northwestern. Northwestern. I you know I don't like that, but you know. Every SEC team has – like, the week before rivalry week has been dreadful for the SEC. The best game is always, like, Missouri and Kentucky. Okay. You know, I mean, do you like LSU playing three games that, like, no one really cares about? Like, you liked watching them play Utah State? I had a good time watching them play Utah State this past season, Zach. I'll be honest. You know, is it just because they won? Yeah, well, maybe, and I also got to see Jordan Love, and I got to watch. I got to watch Joe Burrow. I mean, just show everybody what he's made of. And I guess Zach, Utah I State. Ask you a question because because you because you mentioned um, Auburn playing three cupcakes in Samford, Tulane, and another school. How big of a cupcake really was Tulane for Auburn, Zach? Okay, okay, Tulane might not be a cupcake. I think the AAC should be a, a Power Six conference, and I've said that, but. I didn't want. To, I didn't enjoy watching them play Kent State or Sanford. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, you you wanted them to play Sanford. You said that. Well, okay, that's the in-state school, but I would much rather if you take Kent State and Tulane off and they play Michigan and let's say Virginia Tech. That's it's way more interesting games for me, and I'm sign me up for it every week. Okay. I mean. The only reason I say allow one is because, yes, those schools do rely on the payday. I mean, Southern Miss, how much do they get paid to play Auburn? Probably like, a lot. Two years ago? It was like $1.2 million. That's, that is so that's an extraordinary of amount of money. And so I think that – I, like, uh, I don't know. Okay, so ahead. I'm, I'm going to say one just because of the payday. I really – I don't know. I just, I just think it should be one because of the payday. And you know, I think, I think we do need to define cupcake, like you said. I mean, 
I think games against non-power fives are fine to me. The, his point was not. Because, I mean, you have teams like Cincinnati, Memphis, Boise State, Appalachian State. Are those easy games? Why don't you go ask South Carolina if Appalachian State was a cupcake? Yeah, so I'm saying. I mean, you get, you, you're making my point for me. Thank you. But I'm just saying they should play. I think the AAC should already be uh, – and I think Boise State should definitely be in the Pac-12. I mean, are, are we kidding? How many how many years in a row has Boise State won the Mountain West? Twenty. Uh, quite a few. Yeah, and so we'll skip down to four because we disagree on the independent thing. I don't know why you don't want to see Notre Dame in the ACC or Big Ten, but that's outrageous. But this brings us to four: a universal conference schedule. So that so right now the Pac-12 plays nine games, SEC plays eight, Big Ten plays. Nine, I believe. Big 12 plays eight, I believe. ACC plays eight. So he said all conferences should play a 10-game conference schedule. Okay. I and, like. I do like that. I'll, I'll admit I like that one. See, I would say nine because that leaves you non-conference games. See, not, no, not listen, listen. We can't agree on one thing. Listen, okay, I already have this broken down. I've said this on previous episodes. I like non nine conference games, two power five games, and one cupcake or one like local school. Yeah, I mean, you keep calling it a cupcake. That's you're someone's going to be upset at the end of this episode. Yeah, that's fine. If if you root for Sanford, South Alabama, or anyone like that, your school's a cupcake. We your coach what well, South Alabama's coach has won two games in four years. I mean, that's a good point. Uh, that's a cupcake. I don't know if you can call it a cupcake. Call it something else. Be politically correct. Uh, uh, I don't want to be politically correct. A cupcake is perfect. But you'll, uh, we've talked about five before, Brandon. We'll just clear this up. He said the college football playoff has to stay at only four teams. His idea okay. was he said that That's never once – he said never once has the number five team ever been looked at and said, oh, they deserve a shot at the title. And I disagree because – Ohio uh, yeah. State in 2007, no, 2018 deserved a shot at the national title. Dwayne yeah, Haskins and no, that team deserved did. a chance at the title, and I will die on this hill. You, you don't think Alabama this year, even with Matt Jones, wouldn't have competed for a national title? You don't think Oregon this I year would have competed? I think, I think especially if Tua was back. I mean, I know you said That's Matt Jones, was, but especially if Tua was back, good Lord. Ex- exactly. So you're telling me that – Alabama with Tua wasn't going to beat Oklahoma in Atlanta? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you're right. And, and, they, and, you know, I would give Alabama a shot against Clemson and Ohio State last year. A thousand percent. Right. Would it have helped that they had Dylan Moses? Probably. But I'm still taking that wide Ooh. receiving core. I mean, we saw what LSU's receiving core did to Clemson's secondary. You don't think – Jerry Judy, Jalen Waddell, uh, Henry Ruggs, Devontae Smith wasn't going to do that? Well, they would. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, I've already given my proposal on this podcast. I said 12 is a complicated thing. There was bye weeks involved. I don't want to break it down for y'all again. Go check the episode out. Brandon, what did you say, eight or something when we did it? Eight. Yep, eight. Yeah, I like eight. I mean, I think four is I, – I, I get the sentiment. But it diehard college football people, people who analyze the game more so than just a national host like that, there's always a team that's like, ooh, if they would have got in, it would have been something serious. I mean, even 
even LSU in what 2018, Joe Burrow's first year, you don't think they would have put up a fight? No, they would have. I, I mean, uh, uh, maybe not. <laughs> maybe I mean, not. But okay, so like everyone looks. Everyone looks at uh, so. This year, I don't know if you could take it into account because I think LSU was going to win it regardless. I mean, let's be honest. LSU was going to beat right. anybody you put in front of them. But take LSU out of the equation. Are you telling me how much of a difference are you really saying that Oklahoma, Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, Utah, Oregon, and Georgia, how, 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 how big of the margin was it between those teams? Uh, not big, not very. Not big. big. Okay, the only one I could see is maybe if you say, "Hey, Clemson has Trevor Lawrence," so it, there's a Trevor Lawrence size gap. I'd give you that. But the other teams, <laughs> right? It would just depend on where the game was and how they played that day. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I think, I think four teams is a little short sighted there. I think it just shows that he uh, didn't break down. I mean, there's always, I would say, there's always eight to ten teams that could win the national title every year. I really do. And there's always some dark horses. See, you, you, you threw 12 in there because that was your plan, but I, I think eight. I think eight's solid. There's always eight. Some years there's 12. How about that? We'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give Brandon, it to you. I know you're going to hate this last one. Oh, this is about to be yeah. bad. Um, he said okay. there should only be 12 bowl games a year. Yeah, yeah, let's – He's done for. He's he's off. I'm not I'm not talking about him anymore. <laughs> and they're all big bowl games. It's like the Cotton Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Orange Bowl, Sugar so he's Bowl, just, so Rose Bowl. So Colin is just rooting for less football. Yes, he said he that wants, he wants he less said, football. He said he's tired of hearing the argument that the bowl games help the little guy because the little guy's never going to be anything. Yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. Is, that's he said. He said someone like a Toledo would could never be to Alabama. So why do we care? Nah, I don't. I don't know, man. That's, nah, I don't. I don't like that at all. Not even a little bit. You, you sure? <laughs> yeah. No. I, I'm positive. It's. I'm not a big fan of twelve I mean, bowl games, Zach. No. I mean, it, that's ridiculous, right? Twelve bowl games. Like you're telling me, what twenty four teams only deserve a chance at a bowl game to even play in the postseason? I want my regular. What is? How many bowl games are there? There's like a million it's, of them. It's like um, what forty, thirty, or forty of them. Now? Yeah. I, I, I actually want more bowl games. I want teams to become bowl eligible, at like four wins. That nah, way, I, I can just have everybody. What we have, a hundred and thirty teams in FBS. Just everyone makes a that's, bowl game. Like, let's just that's so that's so much bonus football. That I, I mean, it would be the best day of my life if we only had twelve bowl games. That's getting like taken care of in a weekend. I can't do that. that that's not going to work for me. It, if all one thirty made it, it'd be sixty-five bowl games a year. I mean, who wouldn't tune into the loser bowl between the two zero and twelve teams to see who was the worst team in college football? Yeah. I'd watch it. I'm gonna put watch that the in, loser bowl. Yeah, I want put that in prime time. ABC, Kurt Hertstreet and Reese Davis are calling that game. Put it in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> Make it the spectacle. We got South Alabama versus it. Maine. It's happening. <laughs> okay. Oh, you know what I want? I want the worst. Uh, D1 FBS team 
to have to play the best Division three football team. That's that's the bowl game I want. Dude, North Dakota State is smacking even like a 50th team in D1. They're not they're not D3. They're D2. Oh, they're D2. D2, yeah. Or FCS. I don't know. I, I mean, you could even have an extra bowl game. The champion of D2 plays the champion of FBS. It, it, I'm watching it. I know what's going to happen. But let's say Tula <laughs> gets hurt in the national championship again. I don't know. Trey Lance might step up. It, North Dakota State steals one from old Nicky, old Nick Saban. Old Nicky. <laughs> old St. <Saint> Nick. <laughs> old St. Nick loses one to North Dakota State. I mean, North Dakota State's beaten a really good teams before. I mean, what, we've yeah. had three straight NFL quarterbacks come from there? I mean, it's outrageous. But bowl games, guys, money for smaller teams, that's important. I don't care what anyone says. What about the cities? Listen, we're both from Mobile. The GoDaddy Bowl, that's a big deal. Shockingly. Uh, I, I know. I know it now. does. Lending tree. Yeah, Lindy Tree. Lindy Tree, my bad. Um, I mean, dude, how fun is it to go to Boca Raton for a bowl? I mean, players love the attention. They love to travel. The Bahama Bowl? Sign me up. A free trip to the Bahamas, and when I'm 22, a senior, my last college game's in the Bahamas, I will, I will sign that field trip form every day of my life. And, <laughs> that field and, trip form. And, and, you know, a lot of these teams, you know, maybe they didn't have the great season, but they get to cap it off with a fun trip with their teammates that they'll never get to play with again, most likely. You're going to take that away because the little guy doesn't matter? Yeah, that's outrageous. Cool. I mean, he missed the mark here. I mean, just because Toledo can't beat Alabama means we shouldn't have a few more bowl games. <laughs> like, I get it if you were like, hey, there might be too many. Like, okay, I can – I see where you're coming from. But what about a team like – I'm trying to think – Utah in 2004 with Urban Meyer. They went undefeated and was like number three in the country. Right. What about Boise State for the entire 2000s? Beating Oklahoma in the Fiesta Bowl, you don't think Boise State would at least stay competitive in the national championship? I, you can't convince me they wouldn't that year. No, they it, would be. They absolutely would be. Statue of Liberty, you got to be kidding me. They win that every single time. Yeah, and then Cincinnati and Memphis are really, really good. I mean, there's team UCF. I mean, say what you want about them, but that team was decent. Yeah. I mean, it's I just – I said what I thought about them. I loved them. <laughs> I mean, the little guy might not always matter, but there's moments. Ask Michigan what happened when Appalachian State came to the big house. Yeah, nothing good for uh, Michigan. Yeah, and Brandon, the thing that separates college football for me outside of the NFL, the NBA, et cetera, is, man, there's nothing better than college football upsets. That's what I'm it, saying. It's, it's really not. I mean, no one cares if the Browns beat the – beat the Patriots just like okay like NFL teams like there's never like blowouts like there's never a team like if you look at like just the point spreads if you want to look at it a betting wise how have you ever seen an NFL spread over 20 um no I haven't which well maybe a Dolphins game okay that's because Dolphins are just leave them alone keep them out of this um okay you know but Howard last year over UNLV, they were like a 51-point underdog and won? Yeah, you can't get that anywhere else. No, Who's the worst team yeah. in the NBA right now? The Hawks? If they beat the Golden State Maybe. Warriors, or, or they beat the Golden State Warriors when Kevin Durant was there, no one really cares. 
It's just like, oh, this is a professional league. Like, it's just college football special, man. And I don't want to see it torn down. So I agree with a few things, but the little guy always matters in college football. And that's that's how I'm going to roll with it. But, guys, we're going to move on here. We have ranted those first two segments. Holy crap. Um, yeah. We're going to move on. Brandon and I are going to re-rank each recruiting class each year since 2013. We've done a few of these now. But, guys, just a heads up in case you're new, in case you haven't caught the last few episodes, which catch up. Don't be slacking. Don't listen to this one when you ain't listening to others. Go catch up real quick. We will only reanalyze the top 100 recruits, pick the top five players from there because there's a lot of players, guys. Um, you know, this episode, we're going to look at the 2017 class. This, this was headlined – by Jalen Phillips, uh, probably he made my biggest uh, college football bus list of all time. That's tough. Um, and Najee Harris, who is still dominating college football today. He has really good odds for the Heisman this year. So that shows you how wide this class is. So, Brandon, you know how this goes. Um, I want to say this, though, Brandon. Before we get into I usually let you start with your fifth recruit. I just want to say this. I know you agree with me. This class is by far – we say this every episode. I know, I know, but I mean at this time. This class was by far the deepest I think we've ever analyzed. Yeah, it, it, this one honestly might have been. It really rivals that 2015 class that we spent forever on. Um, and it, it's, it's so hard for me to choose. Uh, it was hard for me to choose these five players. Um, um, so, it, yeah, I'll a, go, I guess I'll go ahead. It's insane. Yeah, Hang on. I, I, I just want to say, guys, I had 15 players I thought deserved consideration for a top five. I, I believe 12 to 13 of those were taking in the first two rounds of the NFL draft this past season, and the other two are projected first-rounders for next year. That's, yeah, that's, it, how, it, that's how bad this is. But I have some honorable mentions, but I'm let Brandon go first. I don't want to steal his thunder. So, Brandon, throw us your number five player. We're we're all still in thunder in this segment. Um, guys, I wanted to go ahead and preface this and say, while I do believe that there were at least two offensive linemen that deserve to make this list, I left them off. I left them off because they don't have stats, and I can't – I guess it would cut my segment short if I did list them. Uh, but just know that uh, Andrew Thomas and Alex Leatherwood for sure both deserve to be on this list, but they're not going to be on my list. Uh, I'm going to go with only skill players here. Um, so with my number five player on this list, I'm going to go with J.K. Dobbins out of Ohio State. Um, J.K. Dobbins, I mean, I mean, what an insane career. Uh, obviously capped off by this previous season uh, where he rushed for over 2,000 yards. I mean, he rushed for 2,003 yards this past season on 301 attempts. I mean, he averaged 6.1 yards per carry. Over his three years at Ohio State, he averaged, he averaged over six yards a carry. Um, that was marked by his freshman season where he scored seven – or he, where he uh, rushed for 7.2 yards a carry. Um, uh, I mean, it, it's any, – any season that you rush for over 2,000 yards is spectacular, and he did it. He only did it once. Um, he was a three-year starter at Ohio State. I mean, had three fantastic seasons. But I have to put him on my list just because I, I believe that he was one of, if not the best, running back in this in this class. Ah, uh, he's okay. So he's probably the best running back in this class. This class is so loaded. He wasn't even. He he couldn't have made my top five. That's really okay. Yes, and I feel so bad. 
Oh, this might kind of ruin the surprise of my picks for at least Brandon, maybe not for people listening, but my list only consists of two schools and I hate both of these schools. And so I oh, literally no. wanted to hate my segment so much. Um, okay. I, you know, I almost called in six of the podcast today, guys. You know, I worked a hard day, you know, got home. We're about to do the podcast. I look at my list and I'm just like, you know what? I quit. I'm, I'm just done. With this segment, I'm done with this podcast, but no, nah, I can't leave y'all hanging. Uh, but Brandon, at five, I have Jeff Akuda. Um, okay. You know, he's decent, I guess. I mean, you know, the fact that Jeff Akuda was drafted third overall in the draft, but he's only fifth in his own recruiting class, is a little bit outrageous. I mean, there's some studs above him, though, guys. And Listen, Akuda was a two-year starter at Ohio State. And this is a school where playing time at a skill position like cornerback is hard to come by. He still found a way to start for two years. He even got some time early. He had 83 total tackles, only three interceptions. He had 18 passes defended, two fumble coverage, and one forced fumble. Listen, I know these stats might not blow you away. I got you. But I've been trying to educate some of some people who come at me for my DB picks here. Listen, like I said with uh, Jalen Ramsey a few episodes back, you can't judge a defensive back based solely on tackles or interceptions. I mean, a good legendary DB shuts down one side of the field. And I heard a saying that put it in perspective for me about DBs. I was watching a football game, and the announcer said, you can tell a cornerback is having a perfect game when if it's over, you've realized you didn't call his name the entire game. Right. He, he just disappears. You don't even know he's on the field. That means the quarterback was terrified to even throw in his, throw his way the entire game, and that's what Akuda encompassed for me. He had zero penalties called on him throughout this entire last season, Brandon. Not one single pass that's interference, insane. not a single holding. And he was a consensus All-American, a finalist for the Thorpe Award. Somehow Grant Delpit got it. We've discussed this. Neither, if, As much as we were Grant Delpit fans, he did not deserve it this year. That was more of a career achievement award for him. And Jeff Okuda and Derek Stingley both deserved it more than Grant Delpit. Stingley wasn't even a finalist. Okuda came in second. Okuda probably should have got it over Delpit. That's that's not the debate here, though. For me, Okuda is probably going to go down as one of the best DBs to ever suit up for the Buckeyes. He deserves a spot in the top five, but there's just too many unbelievable talents in this class. And... That brings me to my number four player. Brandon, you said you had no offensive linemen. There's one I couldn't leave off the list, and that's Mr. Alex Leatherwood at Alabama. Offensive tackle. He was originally the fourth-ranked recruit in the class. Guys, offensive linemen never get the respect they deserve, do they? I mean, you know, you have people like Brandon. They don't have any stats. Well, it don't matter. Leatherwood deserves a top-five spot here, and here's why. Listen, I also will say this. I know he's still playing. But he would have been a top 10 pick in this year's draft. Even Brandon has acknowledged that. Alex Leatherwood is legit. Um, actually met him on his visit to Auburn. Thought he might have come to Auburn. Um, I was told by another Auburn player there was no way he wasn't going to Alabama. So it kind of broke my heart. I've, I've, I'm still hurt by it. Um, but, guys, he played this in seven games as a freshman at Alabama under Nick Saban. Do you know how hard it is for a freshman to get starting time on the offensive line? Alabama was O-line oh, yeah. U for some people. And 
he stepped into it. Jonah Williams got hurt. He stepped in and played the national championship and helped that team win in 2017 and graded out at an 88% success rate against this, the probably the best Georgia defense of all time. And so not right. only did you have Tua come in, you also had a freshman tackle step in against Georgia. And and then his sophomore season, Brandon, he's, he's, he's always played tackle. They move him to guard. He's all SEC second team pick, started all 15 games, didn't, even, didn't allow a sack in 11 of the 15 games, and also had, I believe it was eight games where not a single pressure was applied to the quarterback from his spot. And that's in the SEC, facing some of the best defensive linemen of the country. And oh, this yeah. brings me all to last season. He finally gets to move back to left tackle. He is a first-team All-American, first-team All-SEC. Brandon graded out at 89% for the entire season. The entire season they played, I believe it was 14 games for Alabama, or 13, no, 13 because they didn't make the SEC championship this year, but 13 games. He allowed two sacks and only three hurries the entire season. That's, that, that's it. He missed seven assignments. In, in 752 snaps. He only missed seven. That's like 99 That's point, I believe, insane. 4% success rate. And, guys. <laughs> you had the you say, stat. Yeah, and you say, why does this matter? He faced Derrick Brown, top 10 pick. Javon Kimball, what was, what was the first round pick. Uh, Clavon Chason, first round pick. Rashard Lawrence, NFL draft pick. Uh, Marlon Davidson's second round draft pick. These are the, that's the type of talent that he's facing week in and week out. And you're telling me like it's yeah. not super impressive. Leatherwood is probably the second best offensive lineman in college football today. Panay Sewell, listen, no one's on his level. Alex Leatherwood is right there behind him. And he's going to be a top 10 pick in the draft next year. And Leatherwood is legit. And Leatherwood deserved the top five spot here. Right. Um, I, I, and like I said, if he had the stats that I could talk about during this segment, Zach, you apparently did a lot more research than I ever could um, about Alex Leatherwood, so props. But um, I'm going to talk about another player from the same team, like Zach said. Uh, we're looking at Alabama again. Um, and I'm going to go to the other side of the ball here. And it's a player that I think is probably – I mean, he is – to talk – you talked about Najee Harris earlier being maybe the favorite for Heisman. I think that you're right. He's, he didn't make the cut from my list. He was so close, but I, I need to see one more season out of him. Um, but who did make my list was Dylan Moses, and I am looking forward to this upcoming season for him. Uh, he's the missing piece that everyone talked about for Alabama's defense this past year. Um, and if you look at his previous stats, I mean, you'd understand why. You know, his sophomore season alone, he was a, you know, a 15-game starter that year. Um, from the first snap of the season until until the national championship, and over that period of time, he had 45 solo tackles. He had he had 41 assisted tackles for 86 total tackles, 10 of those for loss, three and a half sacks. I mean, he's he's an absolute terror on the field, um, and I can't wait to see what he does next season. Uh, and the reason I brought Najee Harris up is because I I think that he and Dylan Moses honestly have potential to go in the top 10, I mean, in the NFL draft this upcoming season. They're both that talented. Um, Dylan Moses might be – I'm not going to say the best linebacker in the country right now because Michael Parsons is still playing, but 
he's he's certainly up there, and so that's why he's going to make my list at number four. Uh, but moving forward, and Zach, you you might have said it best when uh, you talked about how we didn't really want to do this segment because it's going to be dominated by two schools. Um, yet another player that terrorized me uh, for uh, for at least one year, um, almost another year. Uh, I'm gonna have to go with with uh, Tua. I won't say his last name. Shout out first episode of the podcast. I messed that up pretty badly. Had to censor myself. We're still here. Um, but Tua, I mean, had an absolutely insane career at Alabama. I mean, his sophomore season, uh, he came in, I mean, started the entire year, uh, 69% completed, uh, sorry, 69% uh, completion on passes, nearly 4,000 yards passing. I feel like people don't talk about that nearly enough. Um, I know how good he is. I know people do talk about that, but they don't talk about how how far he passed for that season. Even this past season, only played nine games, uh, and, and some of those games, I believe, I think two of them, maybe three, he had to leave early with injury. He still passed for nearly 3,000 yards. Uh, I mean, he averaged over 11 yards per pass over the past two seasons, uh, over nearly 11 over his entire career. Uh, he passed for 87 touchdowns at Alabama, uh, and and I haven't even started talking about rushing yet. Uh, and and I I don't know. It, this guy is just incredible. Uh, I think that he I don't want to say he was like like a diamond in the rough because he wasn't. I mean, people knew he was going to be good coming out of high school. Obviously, if Alabama's going after you, you know, you're probably going to be something pretty good. But he wasn't like in the he wasn't in like the top 10 of this class or anything. Um, so in that respect, I guess you could say that. Um, I think he definitely deserves a spot, spot on this list, and that's why I have him at number three. I can't believe he went three. He'll come up later in my list. I don't want to say where he is, but he's definitely above three. Um, <laughs> that's outrageous. Okay. But I guess three for me is going to have to be Chase Young, Ohio State defensive lineman. He was originally seventh. And, you know, when you finish top five in the Heisman voting as a DN, you could just say you're elite. I mean, he did that this past season with the number four finish. He dominated in three years in Columbus, guys. I mean, 98 total tackles, 40 for, for loss, 30 and a half sacks, eight passes defended, nine forced fumbles. Nine forced fumbles. Are you kidding me? I mean, he led the Big Ten in sacks in 2018 and 19, and that ranks ninth in the Big Ten. And it, it, it ranks ninth, ninth in the incident of late and first in the Big Ten. That's just insane. I mean, he's 19th in NCAA history in total sacks, while that ranks number two in Big Ten history. I mean, you want awards for your defensive lineman? Big Ten Player of the Year. Nagurski Award winner. Benark Award winner. Ted Hendricks Award winner. And a consensus All-American. But what else do you need from a guy? The only criticism I have is he seems to disappear in big games, see the Fiesta Bowl from this year, he had, what, a tackle and a half against Clemson? He didn't even come close to touching Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion. And, you know, even though that, he was one of the most explosive DNs to step on the field. He made our all-decade team. And he's going to go down as one of the best Ohio State players of all time, not just defensive players, players. Ah, oh, man. And two, I don't want to even do this, Brandon. Um, for two, I have Jerry Judy. Alabama wide receiver, originally twenty first. Boo 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 boo. No, no, Zach, wrong. That is not wrong. Um, 
But in my opinion, this is one of the best wide receivers of our time, and he gets overlooked due to what team he played on and where he played. He was, let's just say, overshadowed by Tua, by Devontae Smith, and you know, just the fact that it's like, oh, it's Alabama. Everyone's good at Alabama. Um, ask Tyrell Shavers, who just left Alabama, if everyone's good at Alabama. Um, you know, for me, Judy's route running is what really st- stands out for me. He's probably one of the most talented route runners I've seen. He plays with excellent game speed. His 40-yard dash isn't going to blow you away, but when he steps on that field, he can he can run. I see the Duke game uh, where, he, you know, he took off and outran everybody to the end zone, and they did a front flip into the end zone. I mean, this dude's athletic, fast. And in his time at Bama, he put up ridiculous stats, 159 catches, over 2,700 yards, 26 touchdowns. Brandon, over his college career, he averaged 17 yards per catch. That's, every I single know. time he I every know. single time he touched the ball, he got almost two first downs. I mean well, he's like, I know. It's just I don't know, man. I mean, in 2018 and 19, he was top five in the SEC in receptions, yards, and receiving touchdowns. He led the SEC and was number three in the country with 14 receiving touchdowns in 2018. In his career, he's top 20, he's top 22 in career receiving yards and yards per reception and 11th in receiving touchdowns. And that's only in two full years. Imagine if he had three or four. You'd be talking about a top 10 player in everything. He was a consensus All-American, won the Bolitnikoff in 2018. And for me, guys, this is this might be piss off some people jerry judy is the best alabama wide receiver of all time and he's good and he should go down as one of the best sec receivers of all time okay i mean bold bold take by zach right there but i, I like it i uh, really do um i don't know man. but i'm gonna who, continue who on the line i mean i'm yeah who well, you got two, i have two. chase young i have chase okay. Young. you have him at three i have him at two i think i think he deserved a little bit better than you gave him um, I'm not even going to sit here and talk about him because I, I, I do want to talk about my number one. And this is the reason that I booed Zach because Jerry Judy should have been number one on this list because he's a million. He's, he's so much of a better player than Tua. I mean, by a million. Who's, who said I Tua mean, was number it, one? You don't have Tua at number one? You said you bring him up later in your list. I know, I'm messing with you. Yeah, two is number one for my list. You can See, break, that's, you that's can, ridiculous. You, you can break down Judy. I'll break down Tua after. I'll explain. Well, why I, I, I don't have a lot of breaking down to do. That's I true. I just broke it down for you, didn't uh... <laughs> I? You kind of broke it down for me. My, my main thing was that every single time he touched the ball, he got 17 yards. And, and that, that was brought down this season. This season, he only had 15 yards a catch. But over his first two seasons, he had 18.9 his freshman year and 19.3 yards per catch his junior year. Over 68 catches, over 1,315 yards. He had 19.3 yards per catch. And I'm slowing it down for people like Zach, who obviously don't understand the greatness of this player. I know he said that he is, go- that he is the best uh, wide receiver in Alabama football history. Uh, that's tough to say. That's very tough to say, especially when uh, Julio Jones went to Alabama. But I will say if Jerry Judy – isn't the best he's the second best right behind uh right behind julio julio jones uh but no i mean alabama is really doing something big about putting out receivers with it and their their initials are just jj they're really good at that that's like their specialty 
<laughs> I mean, listen, I really, really wanted to put Judy as number one. Everyone on yeah, this podcast knows. Everyone knows how much I like Jerry Judy. As much as it pains me, there's really only one logical choice for the number one spot on this list. I mean, and Wrong. it's to attack Havaloa, and it's in, it's because he's easily the best Alabama quarterback of all time, and easily probably at what a top five quarterback of all time in the SEC. I, I feel like you have to. I mean, yeah, as much as I don't like him, uh, it, it's a fact. But, Brandon, only two year, full years as a starter, he shattered records. I mean, you talk about his, his almost 70% completion percentage, over 7,000 yards passing, 87 touchdowns to only 11 interceptions. Only 11. And he had nine rushing touchdowns to add to that. Listen, guys. He's number one in SEC history, Brandon, in passing yards per attempt, passer efficiency rating, which also he has the number one passer efficiency rating in NCAA history. That's crazy. And he's number one in SEC history in total yards per play. He's top 10. He was top 10, Brandon, in, in the SEC both seasons in completions, attempts, completion percentage, passing yards, yards per attempt, Passing touchdowns, passing passing efficiency, total yards, total yards per play, and touchdowns responsible for top ten every single season. He was a full starter, even his injury prone year this year. I mean, yeah, and and, and there's a reason he's on my list. I just thought, I, number yeah. one. Yes, I mean he also dominated the award circuit. Listen, a consensus All American, Maxwell Award winner, SEC Offensive Player of the Year, Walter Camp Player of the Year. Listen, Tua Tagovailoa was one injury in the SEC championship against Georgia away from winning the Hosman. If he stays healthy and plays a normal game for him, he wins the Hosman. But he goes out first quarter after a bad game because he was hurt while Kyler Murray came back, beat Texas in overtime, and had an outstanding game, and that's where he won the Hosman. I told people after that weekend, okay. Tua's not winning the Hosman. Kyler Murray stole it this weekend. If, if Tua throws okay. for 200 yards and two touchdowns, and that's an average game for him that season, he wins the Heisman. I, I guarantee it. He, he, he wins the Heisman there. And for me, he was one of the most dominant players in SEC history. Listen, I cannot stand Alabama. I can't stand Tua just because I'm an Auburn fan, and he beat the living hell out of us when he played us. And he did all this, Brandon, against the steepest competition possible in the country and while playing with just unbelievable a mountain of expectations on his shoulder I mean there's no bigger there's there's no there's no more pressure than it is being the Alabama quarterback while Nick Saban's in Alabama it's just if you don't go undefeated there's fans that say hey you just lose the scholarship he lost a game it don't matter if you lost it to Georgia Auburn Clemson it's like hey this is Alabama we expect greatness and right. this is why he's number one for me, Brandon, okay? Like, Jerry, Alabama's had someone like Julio Jones, who is right up there with Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy was never the sole reason Alabama took that next step. Listen, to take a program that everyone thought was at the pinnacle of college football and somehow take it to even higher or, or just further heights – that speaks to his impact on college football. We haven't seen a player since, I would say, probably Cam Newton or Tim Tebow elevate a team like Tua did. Everyone said, Bama's a dynasty, Bama's this. How much scarier was Alabama when Tua Tagovailoa came on the field? Oh, so much. I, 
I've so never seen scary. a. I, and listen, Clemson was really, really good with Deshaun Watson, but people said, hey, they could take that next step. They can keep winning because Deshaun Watson came in on that back end and led the rebuild of Clemson. It wasn't like Clemson had five national championships when he got there. They had what? Right. One in the past 100 years. And you have Alabama who has won consistent national championships since 2009. And they said, how does this team get any better? And Tua steps in and they're like, this team might be unbeatable. And for the yeah, most part, they I mean, were. It, it, it took Trevor Lawrence, who is arguably the best quarterback of our recent time, to upend them. And it took injuries. And I think that's why Tua – is number one here. Uh, I, and I've really, really, it makes me want to throw up that, to say that, but I, I, I put all my biases aside for our listeners out there, but yeah, I think Tua's got to be number one, man. And I like Judy a lot. Nah. I get where you're coming from. I mean, I, I, I hear what you're saying about Tua and part of me wishes I would have ranked him maybe number two, but I don't know. And Jerry Judy to me is just the standout star on that team. And I, I don't think I, – I, while I do understand to it, don't let me undercut to it all right here. I mean, because I'm, I'm, I'm about to try to. But if he, if he didn't have that receiving core of Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, and whoever else, I mean, insert name here, uh, I mean, Alabama just has a has stable of wide receivers. Do you think that – I mean, I know he's going to be great, and I know he's going to be probably still the greatest quarterback in the history of Alabama. But do you think that he's number one on your list in that case? Okay, so, like, yeah, uh, uh, if they don't have all that, like, I get your argument here, but really and truly, I'm not super high on Devontae Smith or, or uh, Henry Ruggs. I think Judy and Waddle are easily the best wide receivers. And, I mean, we've seen Alabama have talent everywhere, man. And it's like, yes, it, like, you put A.J. McCarron on this team, it's going to be good, but I just – or like who, who? Okay, so in your opinion, I take two out. Who was the best Alabama quarterback of the Nick Saban era? Ah, that's that's tough, Zach. Because you have you have <laughs> you have you have Jake Coker, Blake Sims, yeah. AJ McCarron, no. or Greg McElroy. Yeah, none of those. Um, yeah, I, I get what you're saying now. Blake Barnett. Yeah, Blake Barnett. There you go. That's the goat. But guys. That is a wrap on this episode. Only three segments, but these segments were jam-packed. And we've been gone, man. We wanted to talk some football with you guys. We've had all these interviews come up, man. We wanted to come in here and do just, I guess, what would you call it, Brandon? An OG episode. We wanted to do just an episode with OG. us talking talking, talking uh, college football news. There was a lot we missed while we were gone, while we were dropping these interviews. Listen, guys, we are in. We are trying to get more guests. We're improving the podcast in ways. Merch is coming. Website's being updated. All kind of cool stuff's coming. Instagram, guys, at the underscore Blue Bloods. Facebook, at the Blue Bloods pod. Twitter, at the underscore underscore Blue Bloods. We need to get on that, but that's another thing. The website, the bluebloodspod.com. Check us out. All the links to the episodes are right at the top of our website um we're available literally everywhere guys go to apple Podcasts, five star rating guys we love y'all for that subscribe to the podcast wherever y'all listen we will be back monday with another loaded episode guys so keep tuning in you guys keep listening and subscribing we're going to keep dropping episodes we're approaching 100 guys so big things on the horizon but for right now we out